from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 213 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Ministry Monday wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. This is our first new episode back for the podcast in quite some time. The podcast was on a brief hiatus as I enjoyed the first few weeks of parenthood. I was blessed to welcome a son this past fall, but I will admit to you listeners that his arrival into the world did not come as planned. He came seven weeks early and then therefore had to be in the NICU for a month in order to facilitate more growth. As I made my maternity leave schedule, including the list of wonderful Ministry Monday episodes I was going to record for the podcast, I didn't anticipate such an early delivery. And so I am thankful for your understanding of this short break of episodes as I brought my baby home and found a new level of sleepiness and a new level of joy in my life. So our first episode of 2023 starts with a question that I believe is truly pastoral. Our work in ministry is so unique because we seek to bring the highest music as praise to God while making sure that all who are called to share these gifts uses them well with all levels of ability. Maybe it's a choir member who can't read music or maybe someone who struggles with the aging voice. Or maybe it's a young guitarist who is still learning but is so eager to participate. Our role is to guide those who are offered to us by Christ for praise, using the gifts that were given to them. So today I speak to flautist, composer, writer, and mother Kathleen Basie, or Kate for short. Kate shares the ways that the COVID-19 pandemic brought an opportunity for her family to minister together in her parish and how important it is for all people of God to be recognized, valued, and included in our ministerial efforts. Today on Ministry Monday, I'm speaking to Kate Basie. Hi, Kate, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Thank you for chatting with me um, on this Ministry Monday episode. You're, you're no stranger to the podcast. We, uh, we interviewed you and chatted with you about your book. Mm -hmm. um, that feels like years ago, but how is, how's the book still doing? It's doing pretty well. I'm actually, you know, it's, you just do what you can with, uh, with promotions as they come up and move and look on to the next thing. So I'm working on next books now. Oh, good, good. A song for the road was the book we talked about. Um, are you going to do any books regarding music ministry in the future? 
I don't know. Um, the the two that I have in the hopper right now are are not on that topic. But um, I I never did really get to dig in as much as I wanted to with the actual ministry aspect of what she did. Um, so I I certainly would would be open to doing that if I can come up with the right story. Nice. Well, good. Well, in the meantime, I did read a song for the road, but we can always pick it back up again. And I'll put the link in the show notes of this episode. But that's not why we're here today. Today, we today we're talking about family and music ministry. Now, to give the listeners a little bit of a background, um, you and I both in our own ways have had family intrinsically linked to music ministry. And um, of course, I have been an NPM member since I was 10. And I used to, you know, turn my mom's pages on the organ bench. Um, I'm no stranger to music ministry. And I'm a product of that. And today, I'd like to talk about you and your family being a product of family and music ministry. So the reason that I really was inspired to chat with you about this topic is because I saw you advertise on social media that your family did a family music ministry concert at your local church. So let's start there. Can you kind of share a little bit about what that was about? Well, we've done a number of things over the years. Mostly what we've been more what we do is is less a ministry concert and more just a um, most of the time we're doing a fundraiser concert for the down syndrome um, organization that's here in central missouri because we have our, our child number two of four has down syndrome um so that's the thing that we spend the most energy on but i will say that during covid um when our choir does a concert every christmas we just did it um as we're recording it's the the 9th of january and we just did that concert yesterday for epiphany sunday we call it the farewell to christmas concert and during <laughs> covid we um we we couldn't have that we didn't have choir so for the so for that year that we were completely out of music ministry um or that we were completely out of choir ministry my family did the the christmas concert just ourselves because our kids had been involved uh, we, Christian and I kept doing music ministry over the course of COVID and the kids just sort of naturally came in with us because we all were going to sit together, you know, when they're spacing people out in the pews, we were, it didn't make any sense to have kids in the pews, they were just sitting right there with us and they all want to sing anyway and Juliana in particular has yet to meet the microphone she does not like. <laughs> so. <laughs> She, she's actually a microphone hog. So for her being <laughs> able to actually do music ministry was a dream come true. And so it was for the other kids as well. The youngest one um, has discovered that he loves percussion. And I was actually talking with, uh, with Jaime Cortez at one point early in the pandemic. And he said how he got his kids involved in ministry was just give them an egg, you know, give them an egg and let them start doing it. So that's, so that's where it began with us. That's great. So did it start during the pandemic or was it before that? Mostly during the pandemic. I think Juliana has often come and sung with the choir a little bit mm -hmm. um, in and around, you know, religious edu education, things that happen the same night as choir. But um, but she was sort of accessory to the process. None of them were really involved until the pandemic hit and we were all sitting there within like six square feet right around the the grand piano and, <laughs> and, and the and things started to just kind of happen in terms of that because it, it was nice then because if I had my kids singing I could still play my flute 
I know a lot so, of places didn't yes. allow that, but we were we were really se- like we were really separated off from everybody, and so we never had any prohibitions on me playing the flute. Right. So yes, if you're listening and you don't know, Kate is a flautist. Um, and so a lot of the times I speak to someone who's maybe a, a keyboardist, an organist, a pianist, a guitarist, but you're a flautist. I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a flautist then. And so um, in those first early days, what were the first steps that you took? Like, what were the first ways that they got involved? You mentioned, of course, percussion. But what were some of the other things that re- they really kind of gravitated towards at first? Really, they were just singing. I mean, our kids love to sing Christmas carols anyway, and um, they just love to sing everything. Actually, I have often wanted to um, get a video of my youngest child when he got, he doesn't do it so much anymore because he's getting too big, but for about three or four years, every time he got in the shower, he was like drumming on the walls and singing a few <sighs> songs always one direction he was always singing one direction it was hysterically funny and we just really we never did manage to properly capture it but it was it was very funny so our kids just can't help themselves singing most of them um and so we just it just seemed like a no-brainer to to bring them in if we were all going to be sitting there they we should just put microphones on them we knew how to run the board and everything so it, it didn't make any sense not to and i you know part of it is I was mentored into music ministry very young. Um, we were, I, I use this term choir babies. We were brought to choir practices in my, in my little parish in Moberly, Missouri. It was, a, um, it was a choir that only functioned at Christmas and Easter. So they would practice for five, six weeks before Christmas and five, six weeks, probably all of Lent. I'm not really sure, you know, kids don't have a sense of time, but we used to go and sit in the church and um, I would bring books or bring homework or whatever, and I was just there. And then eventually I started playing flute. And my um, my sixth and seventh grade teachers asked me to join the folk group with them when I was in the seventh grade. And so, I mean, I couldn't have been a very good flute player. I had only been playing for like two years <laughs> at that point. But they asked me to come in and do that. And so that that's always in my mind when if you're not going to get the kids involved early, you're not going to get them at all. We need to we need to be mentoring the next group of of liturgical musicians into the into the ministry. Well, you and I both have been a product of that just in our own unique ways. And so going back to your family how have you seen or have you seen your children's faith develop in any way since um they started to get more involved with music ministry with you it's hard to say um you know we're in a we're in that tricky age of life i have three teenagers now and so not all of them are super excited about church and god at all let's just let's let's just be honest about that they're really trying to um, find their find their um, uh, hoping for finding finding authenticity. So they're struggling in different ways. Juliana, of course, is um, exists on a whole on a, on a plane all her own, and she doesn't worry about. She she still believes in Santa Claus. She's sixteen <laughs> soon. Um, she's the only one. <laughs> she, <laughs> um, so it's so for her she just doesn't question things things are she just takes the world as it comes to her and she's perfectly happy my youngest has a beautiful faith and i'm really trying to 
um, trying to encourage and nurture that. And um, as you are a parent and you work through your own things, you also learn how not to talk about certain things to your in front of your children. And so I think I think that the change in my children's faith has more to do with the change in how I approach my faith and talk about it with them. I'm more intentional about doing that now. But what the music does um, is it just keeps them there. I mean, I know that I've, I have another friend who said that the, he had no interest, he had no actual faith. He just wanted to play. And so he played and eventually the faith caught up. And so I think some of that is um, you, you walk the walk until, until the rest of it catches up. I like that a lot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. So let's talk about Juliana a little bit. So Juliana, you've mentioned is your, is, I always love reading your bio because you say that Juliana is your chromosomally gifted daughter. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I say yeah. that all the time. I hope that it like catches fire actually and becomes yeah. a thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I hope it's okay if I say this and please, please tell me if I'm, if it's not, but I've always sensed that we in, I just want to say in ministry in general, like sometimes I think we as music ministers want things to have such a polished product. And sometimes we in this Juliana and not no Juliana, just music ministry in general, like with children involved, the imperfection is the holiness to me and the the joy that they bring is the holiness because i think that like you said it's a testament to faith it's a testament to witness and so like you said juliana has no qualms about getting up there and going to a microphone <laughs> she would sing the psalm every week if you let her whether she was ready or not i mean mm -hmm. she she, is, she does not sing the psalm we've we've put our foot down at that we've that's that's a line um but I, we were, we were worried when she was little because her brothers were all going to start being altar servers and we've heard about people who were not like priests who would not let kids with, with Down syndrome be altar servers. We started the conversation early, but I think, um, I think one of the things that works in our favor is that we have been so woven into the life of the parish for so long because I was the liturgy music director for four years in our parish before we started having children and then I stepped back into a volunteer role just with the one choir. But our our parish um, supported us through a very a very public infertility battle before those before we started having children. It was huge, huge rejoicing when we had our first child. And when Juliana, who's number two, came along, um, there was it, it was wildfire all over the parish that the bases had a, a kid with down syndrome and it just you know usually you expect the number two child to get no attention at all from the community around and it was like double what we got when first <laughs> was born. so um we just had super 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 duper support um from our parish and they have grown up around her like one of the essays i wrote and had published once was how um, how it was about how Juliana wandered away from us and fell into the baptismal font 
she was baptized and i and i joke about it because she was baptized in the hospital she had rsv when she was six <sighs> months old and she almost died she was on a ventilator and everything so we were really freaked out about covid when it happened because we'd already been down the ventilator road we we knew what that was like and it was it was terrifying to consider that again so um when she was six weeks old she was scheduled for baptism and then she got sick and she was still on the ventilator and they moved heaven and earth and this is a great story but it's not a story for now <laughs> about having her baptized in the hospital with like three drops and no candle or anything you know it mm. was a very it was a very um beautiful thing but it was not the full thing so i joked about how she had to go do full immersion baptism <laughs> in, <laughs> on her own when she was about four or five years old because she had to catch up with her brothers so basically she's just been so much a part of the parish she grew up in front of, of everybody mm -hmm. and people would know who she was one day she got away from us she had she had a habit of doing this when she was young and it was terrifying she would just disappear and we found her one day walking across the parking lot she was waiting by the <gasps> car while we oh. were still talking to people but people knew like a couple of times people walked her back to us juliana's over here it even happened to us in the larger community. We don't live in a particularly small town. I mean, where there's a 160,000 people in this town or something like that. And and yet, I lost her at the mall one day and she um and by it, that was like on a Friday and on by Sunday we'd gotten all these contacts of people who had seen her at the mall and knew who she was. Oh wow. Um, people through church, people through the Down syndrome community, people who who knew her. Anyway, so she has been a well-supported child. And for that reason, we never really had any pushback from the from the parish about getting her involved. People were, were really willing. And she is also an extremely gregarious girl. She's cute. She's sassy. Um, she's very, very interactive. And she's the only extrovert in our family. She is particularly well-positioned to be an ambassador for her extra chromosome. <laughs> That's what I like to say. I love that. I love that so much. So if someone is listening, what advice would you have for a music minister who has someone who, and I, this isn't necessarily even someone who would have a special ability like someone who has Down syndrome, but maybe someone who, I mean, my goodness, we could take it in a lot of ways. Someone who is new to music, someone who uh sings off key someone who wants to be involved in music ministry but may not fit you know may not immediately create like the expected idea of what a a, a polished uh, you know adult choir or music ministry would be like can you just kind of testify to the value of that for the person and what that really means oh the value for the person i can't even begin to talk about i was i was going to take it from a different direction um the value to the person is to feel like they belong there is we allow you to be in our premises or on our premises and then there is you have a place here and you have a place here is really important um we my husband has been working for four years to get a program off the ground um, that's a college residential program for people with cognitive disabilities and one of the things that he learned in that process is that there there is a i'm just going to speak to disability in particular in in the state of missouri where i live there are 
around a thousand people who graduate high school every year with some sort of cognitive disability. And among them, they have a 25% employment rate. So, I mean, not, not a 25% unemployment, I mean, 75% unemployment rate. But people who go on, and, and those people tend to, like, high school really is the glory days because everything is structured, they have a social environment, and then after high school, what? What do you do? There, there isn't, there's nothing for those people. So having a place, having uh, a place where you are, where you belong, where you have a role, where you have a function, where you have a structure, where you have an expectation, that gives meaning to life in a way that those of us who are typically, who are neurotypical just don't think about because it's so understood. We, the rest of us have the opposite problem is how, how do we draw the boundary and say enough? But people who, who have um, cognitive disabilities in particular don't have that. And this is a place where they should be. If anywhere they should be included, it should be there. Now, how you do that is a question. You have to, you know, parents have to be realistic about what they can do. We're not going to send her up to the EMPO to do the psalm, but we will let her sit in the choir. And we also have to be aware step back step back step back from the microphone juliana this is not like you're you're in the soprano section this is not your show you know so because she does sing um she sings on key but when she gets excited it's not always on key and so and she's really <laughs> excited so um so you can always hear her but people tell us all the time how much they love it they don't care about the perfection people tell us Oh, I just love seeing your daughter's beautiful smile. I just love hearing her voice come over the microphone. It just makes me so happy. Everybody, like the whole church goes still. She, she sings in the teen ensemble as well here. And they let her um, announce some of, the, some, of the, the, um, some of the numbers out of the hymnals. And the whole church gets still because it takes her like three times as long to spit it out <laughs> as it would take anybody else. And they have to listen because it's not as clear. But the whole church goes still and just holds its breath, waiting to hear her. So I, I think that in, that's a testament to inclusion and the importance of, of integration. I think people like Juliana, I think, have more to teach us. You know, they, I think that they, they're such a witness to true, true presence. I mean, presence of Christ, just for us to, to truly become a community, the fact that they they really are truly engaged and listening and not just not just at the ambo not just during mass but like you said also just keeping an eye out um making sure that all are protected and all are surrounded i mean that mm -hmm. oh my gosh that that is so powerful that really is so powerful yeah. what, what what was the direction you were going to go before i said uh value well i was thinking about how how you do it because i've seen the yeah. conversations before on facebook um yeah so we have, we, I, my, my, I, and I have some experience to, to back this up. We've had a choir since 2000 that we, that was started with two singers, a guitarist, a bass, and my husband. And now it, that's the choir that we are in now. And we have seven families that have kids in that choir. And well, I, the kids are not in the choir, the kids run around, it's chaotic. 
but there are, <laughs> but there's, um, there are seven families in our choir that have children. So our choir babies, there are 11, that, 11 of them that are frequently at choir practice um, in some capacity. And we, um, my, my experience over the past 20 years has been that the more people you have in your choir, the better the choir sounds. And it doesn't have to be really great singers. So here's where we can move beyond disability and just into people who are new to music, people who don't read music, people who have trouble matching pitch. Um, but if you hear an entire stadium full of people sing happy birthday, everybody sounds like they're singing in tune, you know? Yeah. But if you have a group of four people, my family sings happy birthday and it sounds awful. <laughs> Um, so it, I think that there's just safety in numbers and the more the more people that you welcome in, the more likely you are to have to have something that that is good for ministry. We're not we're not supposed to be performers. I you know, our our choir is spectacularly good at leading some communal worship. And whenever we listen to we don't listen to the recordings very often we and when we do we're like, Oh, I hear that, and I hear that, and I hear that. And things that we didn't hear when it was in the moment because we're facilitating assembly song. It's not supposed to be a performance where everything is polished and perfect. And I think that's part of the power, but the more polish you get, the um, I have a feeling this is fighting words. My, my feeling is the more polished you get, the more you risk losing the passion, I guess mm. is, what I'm, is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. And so we don't we don't do any kind of audition for people coming in. They just come in and some of them. Um, there there are some people in there who, who do want to sing a psalm and we have to work really hard to um, to work with them practice a lot so that they can be comfortable, but they do a good job. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's another level of being pastoral as well. You know, I mean, this is National Association of Pastoral Musicians. And I do think that in so much of what we do, we're constantly um, evaluating and calculating the balance between bringing that higher praise to God through song, but then by also acknowledging the people that it comes from. And that, you know, we, we of course, as pastoral musicians, we are trained of highest level and we, we so want to bring that highest level, but that may not be bringing everyone to the table to be able to use the gifts that God gave them. When I started my, when I started conducting the choir in 2000, one of the first things I said to the, to the choir was, this was a different choir at that time, the, the official choir at the church. I said to them, I'm not expecting perfection. Hmm. And they all laughed and said, well, that's good because you're not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of choirs would say that right back to you. <laughs> One of the things that I'd um, that I would love to to share a little bit more about, though, as far as children specifically, is that um, is that our I talked about those eleven kids. I, I yeah. was doing calculation beforehand, and when when we had our Epiphany concert yesterday, there were nine of them. I think were there and doing some sort of accessory percussion at, at oh. some point during the concert for us. Um, the, so what happened after, after COVID was that our kids 
had been doing music ministry for a year and a half. And what are you going to do? Kick them back out of the music ministry? Right. Um, we don't have time to do a children's choir. So, um, so we were like, well, we should start letting them do that. And there was another family who'd been doing the same thing we had been doing, just ministering as a family, um, mm -hmm. two musical families. Their kids had been doing music ministry for a year and a half. What are you going to do? Kick them out of music ministry? So then, but then when they started doing little accessory percussion, then all the other choir kids wanted to do it too. And so it got to be, uh, it's been kind of a balancing act to learn how to deal with that. I won't say we have it figured out. Um, <laughs> it's quite chaotic um, because you have a lot of, most, what we came to the conclusion was that we needed to have two kids at a time. Like this week, it'll be you two, and next week it'll be you two, and the week after that'll be you two. Um, but at Christmas, everybody wants to do it. So there was a right. lot of in and out and figuring out who's going to do what. And then they're all like running around the church. And then they're like putting their phone on and leaving it in one place and going someplace else to try to <laughs> tell us about where they are. And the, and the parents keep going, kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just so, you know, you have to really like take a deep breath and be aware that. If you're you're if you're a parent of multiple children, you already know it's chaotic and you just have to be okay with a certain level of chaos. But all of those kids now are, first of all, they're learning to keep a beat. And secondly, they're learning that they have a place in the church too. And isn't that something that generations are so asking for right now, too, that they feel that in organized religion as a whole, especially the Catholic Church, uh, you know, one of the feedback pieces we've received and I've read is that they don't necessarily feel like they have a place they, mm -hmm. that it feels like there's not a place for them so how beautiful is it that we can make sure that they do feel included we have a responsibility to include them and if we can get them in in a children's choir that's great i mean that would be the ideal um but there's only so much of me to go around and there's only <laughs> so much of our music director to go around right you know there's um you've you do what you can and if you if you can't pull together a children's choir, then you figure out another way to get them involved. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Well, do you have any closing thoughts on this topic, Kate? I just think that the that this is really the call that we have. We we want in our schools. I mean, our school, our Catholic schools, are a place where kids should be involved in the music. And they should be as deeply involved as they possibly can. They should be planning the music with the with the help of, of somebody who knows what they're doing, a liturgy music person. They should be singing the psalm. They should be doing the whole works. Because that's where that's like if we don't do that work, then we won't have a next generation to do music in the church. Amen to that. Amen. Well, Kate, always, always such a true joy to talk with you and such a, such an easy pleasure for an interview. Like, it's just so nice to chat with you on a recorded line. But thank you for sharing your passion on this topic. And also thank you for your example for not just your, you know, your children and your, your parish, but also for us as pastoral ministers, reminding us what's really important. Thank you.
to Kate for her time today. For more information on this episode and to watch the video version of this episode, check out the show notes at ministrymonday.org. Keep tuning in as I am thrilled to say we have some exciting new episodes coming up. We will continue to offer you a new episode twice a month, so join in in two weeks for a new episode. The recording of Praise to the Lord was arranged by Tony Alonzo in his Revival Collection and is produced by GIA Publications. Today's episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce, and the theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Monday.